Warden, written by J. Franklin Evans, narrated by the author, part one. Warden floated behind thick treated glass on the observation deck, looking down at the agent, floating in his own cube of treated glass. Warden held himself in place with one long-fingered hand wrapped around a handle on the bulkhead, gently flapping his wings to hold his position in free fall. He could have done what he needs to do via remote, he reflected, looking down at the agent. He did not need to be here personally. Still, he felt obligated because of the way this conversation was destined to turn out. Are you certain the cloud did not detect you, Warden asked. As certain as it is possible to be under these circumstances, the agent said, his voice filtered through the comm system, shifting slightly in his cube of glass as he spoke. Unlike Warden, the agent had legs but no wings. His feet, however, had toes as long and delicate as many people's fingers. It made him more efficient at what he was supposed to do in his tiny ship for decades, sometimes centuries, awaiting the arrival of the Volusian or another battleship like her. Download complete, a voice whispered in Warden's mind, the cool voice of the ship itself, indicating that the data the agent had collected from the system where he'd been hiding for over 300 years was now safely stored in Volusian's computers. How far has the assimilation progressed, Warden asked the agent. The breaking up of worlds has begun, the agent said. I received no communications from anyone. I used passive sensors only and detected no other vessels until this one. No skein either then. No, sir, no skein. I see, Warden said. Have you detected any contamination, he asked the computer. No trace. Scans continuing, it responded. Were you within the recognized periphery of the cloud's influence, Warden asked. Yes, sir, I was, the agent said, briefly, though I scanned myself frequently and detected no traces of contamination at any time. Warden took a deep breath, and he saw the agent tense. You have done well, Warden said. You have served your purpose, and the intelligence you have provided will help us to avenge the deaths of the people in this system, as well as your own. As well as my own, the agent echoed, looking up, tears in his eyes. I exist only to serve, he said. Warden forced himself to watch as he told the computer to trigger the beam. The agent's body was briefly, so quickly it could have been an illusion, outlined with red light. He heard the agent begin to gasp, but that could have also have been his imagination as the noise was cut off almost before it could emerge from the agent's mouth. The agent floated in his cube for a moment before the air pumps kicked on. The weak force, holding all of the agent's atoms together, had been destroyed, and the agent's now lifeless body crumbled to dust to be sucked out of the tube by pumps and filtered into space. Warden took a deep, shuddering breath, reflecting that the agent had served his purpose, something he'd literally been created to do, and that protocol dictated he do what he did. 
True, he had the authority to override protocol, but those rules were in place for a very good reason. His rumination was interrupted by the computer whispering in his mind again. We have a problem. Emergency staff meeting. When, he asked, so startled he said it aloud. Now, the computer responded, and suddenly he was in Captain's chambers. He was not really in the Captain's chambers. His physical body was still in the observation deck but he could see the captain in his chair, sitting enveloped within his control systems. Opposite him, partially obstructed by the captain, was Lieutenant. Security sat to Warden's right. What is it? Warden asked. Lieutenant cleared her throat. Proximity alert. Skane? Warden asked, feeling his heart beginning to pump a little faster. No, Security said. More interesting and problematic. It is a Terran vessel. Another battleship? Warden asked. Lieutenant chuckled. No, this ship is from our past. It is an ancient colonial vessel. Are you certain? Warden asked. Quite. What is its heading? Warden asked. That is our problem, security said. It is heading for the system. Have we hailed them? No response. Ships like this typically put the crew and colonists in stasis as is incapable of reaching relativistic velocities. This ship has been in transit for several thousand years, subjectively and objectively. Is it still operational? Yes. Unexpectedly, that was from Captain, who stared at Warden, eyes narrowing faint energy readings. There is the possibility that at least some of them are still alive. What are you planning, Morden asked. Security chuckled. We have no choice, really, do we? He said. Destroy them before they penetrate the cloud and give it even more energy than it already has. The amount of energy that ship would give the cloud, even if it is an enormous ship, is negotiable compared to the energy it is now getting from an entire solar system and its star, Warden said. Still, protocol dictates that whenever possible we are to prevent the cloud from absorbing more energy. It is a weapon of the scheme, Warden. We do not want to help them in their war with us. Can we intercept them, Warden asked. Yes, Lieutenant said. But why would we want to? Because these are the people we are fighting this war to protect, Warden snapped. Most of them are probably already dead. Stasis units from that time were not reliable. Most of them have probably failed by now, Lieutenant said. Most probably. But if there are any survivors, we need to rescue them. If there are no survivors, however, Perhaps there will be material we can use to help alleviate the biomass shortage that we have been experiencing. Now that is a thought, Security said. Their primitive ship is incapable of decelerating in the time required, Lieutenant said, or of even changing course significantly without a major burn. I have an idea, Warden said. He projected it into the sphere and the others processed it. Lieutenant whistled.
That is extremely risky, she said. The calculations must be precise and we would be operating with approximations. Also, we do not have much time. Warden projected an image of the agent to the rest and included a shading of his emotions. Not exactly forbidden, but frowned upon. Captain sighed. We had best get busy then, he said. Janison opened her eyes. The glass covering lifted and she sat up, almost bumping her nose on the rim of the pod near her feet. Out of habit, her body had assumed that she was in an Earth-normal gravity field. Instead, as her butt left the pod and her head neared the low ceiling, she realized she was in zero-G. Dr. Janison? There was a young male voice from behind her and she turned too quickly, making herself spin around. She felt her gorge beginning to rise and before she knew it, her last meal, eaten who, how many, who knows how many decades, even centuries ago, exploded out of her throat and into the air around her, forming dark green globes, which only made her want to throw up more. Dr. Janison, please, the voice went on and she reached out and caught herself against the bulkhead, her experience at moving in zero gravity coming back to her. She eased herself around to face the young man who had been talking to her. It was Lieutenant Charles Garner, the Deputy Chief of Security, probably all 25 years old, with a terrified look on his face. What's going on, she asked, her voice emerging as hoarse and dry. Garner had a squeeze bottle of orange juice and a vacuum hose, and he handed both to her. He had the toe of one of his shoes hooked on the rung of a ladder that ran up the wall to steady himself. Hurry and clean up the mess and get dressed, Doc, and come to the bridge, please. He turned and climbed out of the chamber, heading back to the bridge, she assumed. It was only when he had told her to get dressed that she realized she was naked, covered with the fluid used in the stasis pod. Quickly, she used a vacuum to clear the air of the sickly green globes and then to remove some of the fluid from her body before slipping into a white coverall and zipping it. All the while, she was squirting the orange juice into her mouth to quench a sudden but terrible thirst that gripped her. The tartness cut through the fuzz on her tongue. It was probably the single most delicious thing she'd ever tasted. Still damp and finishing off the juice, she gripped the ladder and hand overhanded herself out of the stasis chamber through a hallway to the bridge. Garner was floating in front of the captain's chair, toe hooked under a grip on the floor, looking at the screens along the forward bulkhead. It was dark except for lights flashing on various controls panels and a black and white light coming from the screen showing a view of space. A lot of the lights on the panels, she realized, were red. Where is everyone, she asked. Right now, there isn't anyone but us, Garner said. The ship is supposed to wake the most senior and senior crew and colonial admins if something comes up. That's us. That's ridiculous, she said, pushing herself over to float next to him, looking at the screens. Captain Kwan is dead, Garner said. His stasis pod failed as did Colonel Brands. 
No, she said. It came out a gentle gasp. As for Colonial, I'm not even the senior biologist, much less the senior mission specialist, so Garner looked at her and shook his head slowly. You are now, he said, his voice quiet. There are only a couple of hundred stasis pods still working. Please, Dr. Janison, I need you to look at a couple of things. Please? He gestured towards the screens, and she turned to face them, finally seeing what they were showing. It was a band of whiteness across a black background, like someone had taken a picture of smoke. What is that? she asked. I don't know. The computer freaks out when I ask that question. But that's the system we were aiming for. I'm no astronomer, but I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to look like that. And that stuff wasn't there when we observed it from Kebble 4, she said. So it's something that's happened in the last few hundred years, Garner said, but that's not all. He reached down and flipped a couple of switches on the captain's console and the view changed. No, now it showed a star field. No, some of the stars were obstructed. Garner manipulated a couple of the toggles and white lines appeared outlining something in the middle of the screen. This is aft right now, getting closer. What is it? A ship. It has to be. The computer postulated the overall shape from occluded stars. As it gets closer, it can fill in more details. This is a live image. As he said it, the edges of the image flared. Jesus, Garner said, it's firing rockets. It's decelerating, but it's still gaining on us. Can we fire the engines? They're offline. An alarm started whooping. Proximity alert. It's going to ram us. More details on the front of the thing behind them had begun to emerge. Janison noticed. The shape was changing, altering in some way that tugged at her memory for a moment. It looked quite a bit like a shark chasing its prey, mouth opening from the prey's point of view. Oh my God, she said. I think it's going to eat us. Warden anchored himself with one hand clasping a grip loop, moving his wings slightly to hold himself in place. He surveyed the bridge crew from his station above and behind them, feeling quite a bit of pride at how smoothly they all worked together. There was a large screen at what was considered the front of the bridge, showing the view of the ship they were chasing through Warden himself didn't require it. He was always plugged into Captain's system so he could see a view from any outside camera anytime just by mentally expressing a desire to do so. But not everyone on the crew had that capacity. Still, he listened to them exchanging information, giving orders, all of them calm and professional and well-trained, and he was pleased. As was Captain, he could tell, though he was still in his own quarters submerged in the control chair. Captain was actually more useful there and he could access any information he needed as long as he was, as if he were really on the bridge. The old ship was large, about a fifth the size of Volusian, with old-fashioned engines, he noted. Volusian had no tr problems gaining on her, even though she herself had suffered damage in battle many years ago, damage they had been unable to fully repair. Even so, 
The engines and systems of Warden's bigger ship were so advanced, so powerful, compared to the systems of this old ship, the passengers and crew would probably think they were magic. Lieutenant spoke from her own station to his right. The hold is ready and the bay is open. Good, Warden said. Steady now. He said it in his mind as well as aloud, sending it out to everyone involved in this tricky operation. He could feel the confidence from those who were linked to him, could see it in the posture and manner of the people below him. He could even feel it from Lieutenant, who he knew utterly disapproved of this plan. She didn't like it, but she didn't have any doubts that they could actually do it. They had gained on the Terran ship, and the aft section was in the hold when disaster struck. It started as a tickling sensation in the front of his mind, an itch he couldn't reach, a part of his body that his brain thought existed, but which really didn't. It was a distinctly odd and unpleasant sensation, and when he turned to mention it to the lieutenant, but she was standing perfectly still, as if frozen, her mouth open as if she were about to speak. Several of the crew below him seemed to be in a similar position, and others were beginning to sense that something was wrong. The sensation grew stronger quickly, exponentially, and Warden groaned in pain, releasing his grip on the loop and drifting free. Then the forward propulsion systems, programmed earlier for this maneuver, fired. They gave only a slight nudge, but it was enough to send him crashing to the floor. He would have already settled there if he could have before the burn. He could hear the crew below shouting and Lieutenant moaning. The one he could not hear at all was Captain. The unpleasant sensation grew even stronger, agonizing, and finally began to fade, becoming merely an agitation, then an itch, then gone. Warden floated, feeling as if his brain had been rebooted, systems gradually coming back online. What was that? He heard Captain ask, somewhat groggily himself. I don't know, Warden said, knowing there was something that urgently required his attention, but not sure what it was. Warden! It was the navigator down on the bridge who had turned to face him. You need to adjust our velocity. I need to, he started to protest, as he was not the one responsible for that when he realized for this operation he was, his idea, his hands on the wheel. He quickly assessed the relevant data, closing his eyes and trying to ignore the cacophony of, and alarms that had started. The Terran ship was now completely inside, but Volusian was still accelerating slightly relative to it meaning that it would soon crash against the rear bulkhead of the cargo bay and cause a great deal of damage to itself and to Volusian. He ordered the ship's computer to calculate the mass and inertia of the Terran ship, something it could only estimate before. He got the results and quickly started performing the calculations, his mind finally coming out of its fog. He plugged the numbers in and the forward engines fired again, slowing the ship a little more, and throwing Warden back into the rear bulkhead, but not before the aft section of the Terran ship crashed into the rear bulkhead of the cargo bay. More alarms, 
more cacophony, sparks, and people shouting. Close the forward cargo bay door, he said. Repressurize the cargo hold and send in damage control teams. The computer confirmed his order, and he turned in midair and flapped his wings a couple of times, pushing himself over to the lieutenant, who was floating motionless in the air. He could see blood in her ears. Medical team, alert, he said, grabbing her and flying with her unmoving body towards the door. I'm on my way to the infirmary with Lieutenant. Copy, he heard a medical officer reply in his mind. Damage assessment, he asked the computer as he guided Lieutenant's body down the hallways. Fires in cargo hold, electrical in nature, the computer responded. Power has been cut and they are nearly under control. Three known casualties. No damage to outer hull detected. What of the Terran ship? No hull breaches detected. Faint energy readings. Unable to provide a more detailed assessment at this time. Security to the cargo bay, he said. Surround the vessel, but do not approach it and do not fire on anyone who may exit from it unless absolutely necessary. Use non-lethal force and only if it is required. Understood, came the response from a security officer. If someone does exit the ship, do not approach them, but do your best to reassure them that we do not intend them any harm. Understood, came the response, though this time it sounded grimly amused. He couldn't blame them. If any Terrans were alive and awake during this maneuver, there is no way to tell what they would think of Belushian's intentions. Warden himself, he reflected, as he arrived at the infirmary door, would be inclined to emerge from his ship with guns blazing. Janison's life had been interesting over the last few hours. She and Garner had been trying desperately to find out why the engines wouldn't fire. They decided that the system that controls the engines was offline, but that was as far as their diagnosis went. Garner had opened a locker and was digging through it, looking for weapons while she watched the ship gaining on them. At least we figured out how to turn off that annoying proximity alarm, she thought. Still, the silence was now more deafening than the alarm ever was. It didn't matter anyway. She could see how close the thing was. The aft section of the ship was inside of it already. She tried not to look at the, at the display that showed how many of the stasis pods were still operational. Garner was right. There were only a couple of hundred tiny green lights where there should have been over 2,000. There, Garner said triumphantly, holding up a rifle of some sort. What is it? she asked. Minigun. It'll send out a wall of bullets in less than a second. He started loading it, feeding a belt with ammunition into it. Does it fire in vacuum, she asked. He snorted. No, he said. It'll need oxygen to fire. I was just thinking that if this is a ship and not some kind of space shark or whatever, that it's looking to capture us alive, I think we should have a way to make whoever they are respect us, don't you? I'm not a violent person, she said, just before hell broke loose. There was a horrible scraping sound, a vibration, and then suddenly gravity seemed to reassert itself for a second and she and Garner both were flung to the floor, hard, Garner's head hitting it with an audible crack. Janison bit her tongue. 
She could taste blood beginning to well into her mouth. Garner collapsed into a heap against the bulkhead for a moment when suddenly they were weightless again. Small globes of blood emerged from her mouth and formed a tiny solar system around her head while she turned and touched Garner, who was motionless. Lieutenant, she called, and he moaned but said nothing. Blood was drifting out of his mouth and ears, and she knew that was a very bad sign. She could smell ozone, smoke, and some odd sort of organic scent she'd never smelled before, wet and alive and not entirely unpleasant. Charles, she called, pulling him closer, checking his pulse. She could feel it. She could tell he was breathing, but that was the extent of what she knew to look for. She pulled him closer and held him against her, hoping if there were any more violent changes in the gravity field, she could shield the defenseless man with her body. Other than that, she didn't know what else to do. The screens were no longer working, so she couldn't see what was going on outside. Instead, she floated there, holding Garner, waiting for something to happen. After what seemed like hours, she heard a loud banging. It sounded like it was coming from outside. Then a loud hissing noise began. She reluctantly left Garner floating there while she kicked herself down a corridor towards the noise. It sounded like it was coming from an outer bulkhead, one of those that formed the last barrier between the interior of the ship and the vacuum of space. It wasn't hard to find the source of the noise. She found an area of the bulkhead where a single spark glowed, like someone on the outside was using an arc welder to cut through. Problem is, she thought, that bulkhead was supposed to be resistant to that sort of thing. Still, whoever was cutting on the other side didn't seem to be having any problems. She reckoned that she only had a minute or so before the circle was completed. She watched as it finished. Apparently, the air pressure inside the ship was slightly higher than outside, which pushed the circle of bulkhead outside. She stood, wondering if she should attempt to retrieve the minigun, even though she had no clue how to use it. Someone, or something, climbed through the hole and she gasped when she got a good look. It appeared to be a man, with a small pair of bat-like wings growing from his shoulders and no legs, but with feet that had long, almost prehensile toes directly above his torso. His arms seemed to be longer than one would expect, and the fingers on those hands, too, were very long and delicate. He saw her and flapped those wings so that he seemed to be floating upright, facing her, his eyes level with hers. Hello, he said, the last thing she'd been expecting to hear. Is that appropriate? Uh, yes, she said. You may call me Warden, he said. There is not much time. I'm sorry, she asked. Are you injured? A little, she said. Her tongue was beginning to hurt, but she couldn't taste the blood anymore. My crewmate is hurt pretty bad. I am sorry, he said. The man closed his eyes for a moment, and it seemed as if he wasn't actually there. His body still floated there. He was still breathing, but it was as if his consciousness was elsewhere. After a few seconds, he opened his eyes, seeming to return from wherever he'd gone. I have requested medical assistance. They will be here shortly and take your friend to the infirmary. Please, you must come with me. There is not much time. What do you mean? 
In six hours, your ship will be destroyed, he said. This is J. Franklin Evans. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories That Suck. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe.